Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Kimberly Graham. Kimberly is a pre-divorce consultant, divorce mediator, collaborative attorney, and juvenile court attorney. She's a meditation and mindfulness teacher, a mother, and a marathon runner. She earned her bachelor's degree from the University of California, Irvine, and law degree from Drake University Law School in Des Moines, Iowa, both with honors. She believes that what people don't know about divorce before they choose a process and lawyer can harm families for years into the future. And she's on a mission to educate people so they can move forward through divorce with respect, compassion, and dignity. She believes divorce can't undo a family and that the process the choice of process and lawyer is critical to the health of the family after divorce. So welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. I'm so glad to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell me, how how did you um, end up in this realm of the law and even in law school? How did, why does this resonate with you? Yeah, well, um, so, um, I guess my life has taken a little bit of an unconventional path, um, many would say. Uh, I did not start law school until I was 32 years old, which is about 10 years more older than my colleagues at, in, in law school. Um, and before that, I was an international flight attendant for 13 years while I was going to UC Irvine and working my way through school. Um, and then through uh, a bunch of circumstances, I ended up uh, moving from Southern California to Des Moines, Iowa. And really, um, I just knew that I wanted to do something that I felt helped people. That That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I loved some things about being an international flight attendant. Obviously, having dinner in Paris or Stockholm or whatever is pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but the work itself, um, you know, yes, you could definitely, you know, connect with people, individuals and help them. Um, you know, I had lots of lovely stories of helping people who didn't speak much English, etc. Or helping people who had anxiety flying or whatever, or helping people with their children on, on planes. But I wanted to do something that I felt had kind of a larger impact maybe and um, that also kind of used what I felt like I'd just been given, which was lucky that I'd done pretty well in school and felt like I had a capacity to, to do well continuing on in school. And I've always loved learning things. So I looked around when I got to Des Moines, uh, what can I do? And there's a law school here. And um, <laughs> it really was a matter of, well... I could help people as a lawyer. I mean, you know, and I really from the beginning set my sights on doing uh, what I would call public interest law, or I've also sort of called it social work law, meaning 
the sorts of law that really impact individuals who often are really in a difficult position in their lives, a mm-hmm. difficult time of their lives, and really need help. So from there, I just became interested in juvenile court work uh, and in family law. And from there, I kind of chose what I'm doing now. <laughs> so what is it that you feel is so helpful or impactful about working with people to move through the divorce process in in a much, I mean, from, from what I know of you, in a much better way than, you know, the horror stories you sometimes hear about divorce. Right. Um, oh, man. Uh, what I love about, so I feel kind of like being the sort of a divorce lawyer, namely a collaborative divorce lawyer that I and and a group of my colleagues here in Des Moines are, it's really a calling to me, you know, more so than just a job or a career, because I feel like to be really effective as a divorce divorce attorney, and by effective, I mean effective so that you help the family get to a place where their communication can improve and they can become positive co-parents together if they have minor children or even if they have adult children. They still they still are parents and they still need to co-parent even if their children are adults. True. Um, that's kind of a side issue myth. A lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I'm only tied to this idiot till my kids are 18. Well, no. <laughs> you are tied to them for the rest of your life. And so I feel like the more that they can hear that message from positive, compassionate, respectful divorce attorneys who honor the family throughout that process, um, the better off that family is going to end up down the road. You know, it can. Re- I believe that the people that the, the, the attorneys, the professionals that individuals come in contact with during their divorce process are just critical. And the things that those lawyers or other professionals, mediators, whoever it is, tell them are critical to how they're going to navigate that process. So if they happen to hire an attorney who, you know, is in a very um, offensive posture and a very adversarial posture and is very litigation oriented, and, and unfortunately, those divorce lawyers are out there then that whole divorce process is just going to degenerate the relationship even further and set that family up for more problems years down the road. So I think the impact that I and people like me who do collaborative divorce work and mediation and pre-divorce consulting, the impact that we have, hopefully, is we positively impact families really forever. Hmm. Well, I, I was so struck by what you said about honoring the family. And it's yes. not, it's not just about getting an outcome or enduring the process. It's really about how do you maintain and even nurture in as much as you can in that kind of setting, the, the family connections. Absolutely. And, you know, an example that I give my clients a lot of times is when I say the thing that I wrote in the the little bio and that you mentioned about families cannot be undone by a divorce. I firmly believe that. And I know that it's not just a belief. It's, it's true. I tell my, when my clients look at me kind of like a dog, you know, that you're talking to like that cocked ear, like what, you know, what? We're getting divorced. How, how, what do you mean? We're still a family how I put it to them is like this. I don't live with my mom. I don't live with my cousins. I don't live with any number of people that are my family. 
but they are always my family and they are my family now and they will forever be my family. And then they go, oh, oh, okay. So they under, you know, they get it when I put it that way. It's like, to me, it's no different. Once you have married someone and you, especially if you have children with them, which Mm -hmm. is primarily, I mean, most married couples have children, not all, of course, but most do. Um, you're for your family, period. Yeah. There's yeah. end of story. And you will always be a family. And so then the choice becomes, how do you honor that family that's shifting its its uh, appearance and shifting its living quarters, essentially? And then, you know, how do you honor that family? And then again, as you mentioned, start creating uh, a, ways to positively communicate, ways to positively co-parent, set up strategies for that, you know, which of course, after 17 years of doing this, I have a lot of resources and (laughs) suggestions for people about how to make that go more smoothly. Everything from online kind of co-parenting sites where they'll let both parents have access and post kids schedules and all this kind of communication stuff that's so important to advice like never text unless it's an emergency, always email. Because Mm -hmm. when you text, those can vanish, you can lose them. Sometimes somebody doesn't get the text you know, it's just a a more unstable way of communicating. And most people appear to be uh, short with each other on text. And that's just the nature of that communication medium. And it's incrementally better, I think, when you email, you Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to be more kind of say a few more words, hey, how, how was your day? I mean, I always encourage parents, even if the other parent isn't being this way, you be the bigger person. Why do I have to be the bigger person? They say, why? <laughs> and I say, because you can. Yeah. If the other person isn't capable, at some, you know, ideally, they're both kind of in a re- relatively amicable place. And that often actually does happen. But if one person isn't because one person kind of didn't want the divorce and the other did, so they're kind of in a better place then the person who's capable of being the bigger person has got to be the bigger person. And if you can't do it for yourself or your own peace of mind, which it will improve your peace of mind, do it for your kids because yeah. it's going to benefit them even if they never see your communications with your your kid's parent. Sure. Well, and presumably if they're approaching someone like you who's, who, I mean, you're saying I'm a collaborative divorce, divorce lawyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're setting it up as this is the intention at least. So... Um, that kind of opens the door to that that kind of communication. Mm-hmm. It, it's my belief that when you have impact, that the kind of impact that you have, that it ripples out in many ways that are perhaps visible, perhaps not visible. How do you think that this kind of approach to uh, divorce and the the reorganization really of the family? How do you feel that this has an impact in the larger world, or or do you feel it does? Um, I guess it depends on kind of how much larger. I mean, what first pops into go, my head is... Go as big yeah. or as small as you like. <laughs> <laughs> what first pops into my head is just kind of a simple example from my son's father's workplace. And I guess I'll side note that with language to me is critically important. I mean, not to me. I mean, my belief is that it's critically important. And so I, one of the first things I do if my clients are talking about their ex or my soon-to-be ex, or I will say, you know, I'd really invite you to use the term my son's father or my children's mother, or because you're going to be referring to this person for the rest of your life. 
And in our culture, the term ex is typically seen as a negative and it's typically seen as derogatory even. Mm-hmm. And so just encouraging, pe- just exposing people to that possibility that they have a different word or different set of words for their, I'm divorced, by the way, and I always refer to my you know, to my son's father as my son's father. I don't ever, ever and have never called him my ex. Because again, it goes back to my philosophy of he's still my family. He's not my ex anything. He's he's still my son's father. Right. So um, he was telling me a, a story that um, he has kind of become a little bit of a mentor, if you will. Uh, he's a he's a commercial uh, industrial electrician. So he's a union electrician. So he tends to work mostly with men, just because, unfortunately, that's still the nature of that job. <laughs> Typically, it's vast majority men. And um, although my son's father's a little unusual in that he has a law degree, but he decided to become an electrician after law school, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, decided he didn't want to do law. He wanted to do that, so which is great. Right. Um he, he he works with a lot of, you know, men also who don't have a ton typically of higher education. So you might think with that that they um, they might not know about collaborative law or they might not have researched it maybe as much, um, that kind of thing. But he has talked with many coworkers over the years since he and I have been divorced and has shared with them how his and I, you know, our relationship uh, as co-parents, what it's like, how it's respectful, how we both work together for our son's best interest, how we were divorced through mediation process rather than a litigative, you know, litigative process and and, uh, a traditional kind of litigation model. And through that, you know, he's influenced a lot of people, you know, who maybe didn't think that it could be that way Mm -hmm. or just never knew anyone who had, dare I say, you know, at least a neutral to positive experience right. of, of divorce. Um, so that, you know, just in that way, um, I think it's it's made a larger, you know, a larger impact because he and I can go out and actually say to people, look people in the eye and say, you know what, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you, whatever your coworkers telling you, whatever your sister's telling you, whatever your, you know, best friend's telling you, you don't have to listen to them and and maybe they didn't know what you can learn. They didn't know what what we're telling you and they didn't know about collaborative law and they didn't know about how to choose a lawyer. And man, if you choose the wrong lawyer, ugh, <laughs> ugh. I mean, really, it really can just create so many more problems than it solves. Yeah, and I, I mean, you're your personal story, people's personal stories are always so powerful, and they really shift people's perspective. So it's, uh, it's valuable to that he's, you and he both are willing to share that story of of your own. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, I've, I've asked people um, at times is, is this something that you talk about when you market your practice, when you market your services? Is this an aspect of what you offer that's that's really key to your marketing, or does it kind of operate in the background? Yeah, it's it's key. Um, 
I and I so I used to do litigation, I should say. Um, so I, I, it's not that I always, you know, came out of law school and and knew I wanted to do collaborative law. In fact, I didn't I didn't know what collaborative law was. It really had not come to Iowa, although it's been in existence for thirty some years. And actually started in Minnesota. Hmm. Um, uh, a gentleman named Stuart Webb started it. He was a litigation divorce lawyer and said there's got to be a better way. And he he started this whole notion of of collaborative. Um, and it's quite popular on the East Coast and West Coast, but not quite as much yet in the Midwest, although it's definitely gaining momentum very quickly. Um, but I used to litigate cases. And about, what, three or four years ago, not that long ago, I finally kind of drew a line in the sand and said, I will not litigate divorce cases, period. Now, as a juvenile court lawyer, I'm all about being in court all the time because that's the nature of juvenile court. You, mm-hmm. it, you know, that's just how it that's just how it goes down. There's there's no way to do sort of um, at least not yet. There's there's no collaborative juvenile court. You know, it is it is what it is. Um, maybe but you, maybe divorce- you'll be a pioneer of that. Yes. Well, people are trying, you know, and and it's sort of inching that way, I will say, because we did several years ago in Iowa, we implemented mandatory what are called family team meetings, which is not that hugely different than collaborative meetings Mm -hmm. in their sort of intention. So we didn't used to do that. All everything in juvenile court in Iowa used to be in the court, in the courtroom. And now it's mandatory that in between court hearings, we have family team meetings and they're non-adversarial. There's a there's a facilitator and we all come together to talk about the family's strengths and they're a strength-based meeting and then talk about what do we need to address? Are there any needs of the, either the children or the parents in order for the parents to get their kids back? Because typically they've been removed from the home when we when we have cases like this. You know, and, and what's going well and what do we need to help these people? So it, it has gone slightly collaborative in that way, but yeah, it's not it's not it's not all the way there. But um but yeah, the the collaborative model, um, I finally said that's all I'm doing as far as divorce goes and as far as, you know, uh any kind of family court actions is is I'm doing only collaborative and, and at base what collaborative is is you, the, the client signs an agreement. Um, typically, any client would sign a fee agreement or some kind of agreement up front, regardless of the process they're choosing or the attorney they're choosing. But my agreement, any collaborative attorney's agreement, states in that agreement that the client acknowledges and understands that the basis of collaborative law is that we are not going to court, period. Right. So we're committing to resolving this process, to resolving this divorce case um, out of court through a series of meetings. Each client has their own attorney, their own collaborative attorney, and the four of us meet over several meetings to work out the terms of the divorce, and then we're done. So um, so I, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. So in my marketing, yeah, it's, it's really important, and it's, um, yeah, it's really the centerpiece of everything I do. I, I do. Mm-hmm. And in the last um, couple of years, I started seeing a real void and something that I can help people with anywhere in the country. And that is my what I call pre-divorce coaching or consulting, pre-divorce consulting sessions. Um, and typically, it's one session. It's usually one to two hours. And I just did one this past Friday that I was 
I was, she was so glad she found me and I was so glad that somebody who knew both of us referred her to me because this is a person who's contemplating divorce, but just isn't ready to actually go talk to a lawyer, you know, in her geographic area. She lives in another state Mm -hmm. and I was able to spend a couple hours on the phone with her and help her learn how to find a lawyer. And even I can even help her interview lawyers if she wishes. I can be on the conference on a on a speakerphone, you mm-hmm. know, when she goes to actually talk to lawyers. I can pre-screen lawyers by looking at websites and figuring out if she say wants collaborative. I can find several collaborative attorneys in her area. And then talk to her about all of her issues and hear her questions about her specific situation. It's not, it's very clearly not legal advice in quotes. Right. It's more about the pre-divorce stuff, the before you choose a lawyer, the before you choose a process. So I was able to explain mediation to her, collaborative law, traditional litigation. So you really DIY. help, you're really yeah. helping them set the stage for, uh, for even thinking consciously about what kind of process they might like to have that's not the kind of stereotypic one. Exactly. Yeah. And and that is, I saw this giant void out there of that doesn't really exist on a large scale yet. And that's kind of my next thing. I mean, I'm still doing the collaborative divorce work, mediation and juvenile court work, but that's my next kind of thing I want to grow because I feel like that is that is where the decisions are made that are critical to the trajectory of the whole divorce. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and nobody was really that I'm aware of is filling that. And some people say, well, couldn't I just go have a free consultation with the lawyer? Wouldn't the lawyer tell me about mediation, about collaborative law, about no, especially not if they're a litigator. <laughs> well, no. no, they're going to go with the approach that they know. So yes. Yeah. Well, so it's it's like no, and and I, and I'm not saying I'm not poo pooing a, a free consult, but that's not where and how you choose your lawyer or your process, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, so you need be- better. If people were better educated about the processes available to them and how to choose a lawyer and what to look for, I think that divorces would be it would be revolutionized because mm-hmm. people would be choosing different options than they're currently choosing a lot of the time. I, right. I really believe that. I don't believe people want to be nasty and no. and argue, sure, if you will, whatever, you know, there's, there's always going to be that. But I believe most people do not want to go to court, do not want to argue and fight and d- damage their family any further. So you're offering them a really, to- yeah, you're <laughs> offering them a really viable alternative. They don't know how to do it themselves. And you're creating the the environment for that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So uh, one of the things that I've, uh, I'm always curious about is, is what is at the, the basis or the foundation of, of your business in terms of values? Because I believe that what the impact that you have is a reflection of those values, conscious or not conscious. But is that something that you feel that are your values woven into your business? Is that something that um, you you've given thought to? Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a mentor of mine that I work with. I'm, I'm th- you may know of him. I'm not sure. Anyway, his name's Fabeku Fatumiche, and he's mm-hmm. he's a um, a business coach and consultant. Um, and he his his he really preaches coherence. That's that's his, you know, that's his kind of mantra is. Everything that you do, whether it's your, quote, life or your, quote, business, you know, which to him, it's like the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, how you do your life and your business um, 
really should be the same, you know? And so he, he talks about coherence and, and I will say that when I decided to stop doing litigation, like that was another step toward being more in coherence with my own values and who I am and then my, and what I do for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, my values are absolutely, you know, front and center in my, um, in my business. Uh, you know, I'm also a meditation and mindfulness teacher. I teach um, a, a few classes, I don't know, half a dozen classes a year or so on a rotating schedule with some other instructors at the YMCA here. And I lead uh, the meditation around town series in Des Moines once a year as well. And, you know, being mindful and and conscious and respectful and, and all of that, you know, uh, is just that to me is critical to the health of individuals, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, and the health of really the larger world. So, and I try to, you know, um, spread that, spread that mantra and about kindness and compassion in the work that I do. So, well, it, this kind of leads into a question about um, how do you maintain your energy for this kind of work? Because I know that collaboration is not always simple and straightforward. You've got to kind of find your path with that with each client and, uh, and, and find a resolution. So how do you maintain your own energy level and um, your health as you're, as you're doing this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the energy for it, I think, comes from, you know, luckily getting positive reinforcement on the on the pretty much regular that that what I'm doing makes a positive impact. You know, I um, seeing people sitting down with people who are dissolving their marriage and, you know, and, and you're absolutely right. It, this isn't like, oh, it's all just wonderful and butterflies and unicorns. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But it's worth it. And it's the right thing to do. And and there are moments, there are a few moments here and there of butterflies and unicorn. I mean, there there are times when the opposing p- client, not my client, but the other client has stood up at the end of our meetings together and said, thank you so much. I mean, how many times do you thank the, oppo- you know, the attorney of your spouse? I mean, yeah. you know you've done something right when your client's happy and the other person is happy. You know you're sure. in the right process it's when really everyone powerful. walks yeah, walks out of there feeling, you know, a lot better than you knew, know they would feel had they thrown mud at each other for a year and a half in litigation, right. you know? So, so um, a lot of the energy comes from that. Um, and then it's, you know, it's the same old, same old self-care. Probably all your listeners know, you know, I try to eat well. Uh, I'm a runner. Running is really running or some kind of physical movement. For me, I really need to really sweat, like, light walking just for me wouldn't do it for somebody else it might be great but you know I think maybe because of the stress of what I do especially in juvenile court where I'm dealing a lot with addicts you know and people with um, addiction problems and mental health issues um, and children uh, since I adore children and empathize with them that's really hard for me emotionally a Mm -hmm. lot of times but uh but yeah, so you get it out with running or some kind of physical activity, eating well. I try to get enough sleep, although that's kind of like a lifelong, yeah, I'm working on that, you know, like most of <laughs> us, I probably don't get as much as I should, but I really 
I really try. And I notice if I'm really getting tired and really feeling burned out, the first thing I look at is sleep. And it's just, I think we don't talk about sleep enough in our culture in the United States, especially, or if we do, we're bragging about how little we sleep. Right. And uh, no, I mean, I really can directly see when I have not gotten eight hours, you know, when I'm doing six hours or five hours of sleep for days on end, I, t- I absolutely will recognize it after a few days and go, no, 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 I don't care what I got, feel like I got to do. I've just got to get into bed by, you know, a certain time tonight. <laughs> right. right. Well, yeah. And mindfulness, that... meditation, that yeah. helps too. Yeah, I was going to ask, if how does your mindfulness practice weave into that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, it, it shows up all the time at all different places. I can be sitting in a juvenile court hearing and, you know, have a client understandably melting down next to me, crying, sobbing in a courtroom because her kids are being removed or something. And, mm. and when I feel like I'm, when I know that I'm in a vulnerable situation, meaning me emotionally, because I empathize with her and I, but I need to do my job and I can't do my job effectively if I'm sort of empathizing too much in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, if I start tearing up too and crying in the courtroom, that doesn't help my client. I mean, I, I have to be able to function. So there's a couple of things. I mean, I will get real mindful really quick and my years, I think it's been about 15 years now of pretty solid mindfulness and meditation practices. I'm able now to really just almost flip a switch, you know, not every single time, but most of the time and just start focusing on my breath. Just start watching my thoughts pass by in my head, you know, imagining them kind of bubbling by above my head and I can kind of bring myself back to the present really, really fast and focus on what I, you know, what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's really helpful. Yeah. That's really valuable practice. Well, mm-hmm. well, in the course of the work that you do, uh, I mean, you s- just spoke about, especially in juvenile court situations where um, you may run into some obstacles or barriers is what kinds of, uh, or how do you choose to deal with those? I mean, you just spoke about mindfulness being a place you can go to, really ground yourself are there other is is there a particular situation that you can think of where you've been able to move through a a difficulty and and really uh have have it come out at the other end with uh an outcome that you're you're happy with um do you mean like in the actual work that that like collaborative work and so forth that i'm doing in the work itself it can be there or, or personally, whatever you. Yeah, well, there's a story that I love to tell. And I and I, I guess I'm, I'm lucky and but unlucky that this isn't really my personal story. This is but but it's such a great illustration of uh, how collaborative law can work and how collaborative divorces can work. So first of all, if we have a sort of an impasse, or we think we have an impasse, I will say that typically, when you think you have an impasse, you really don't, but you think you do. So, <laughs> so the first thing is recognizing that, and that comes with experience and time. So I've been doing this long enough that I have learned that right before, right when things seem the most horrific, and one of the clients has stood up and stormed out of the room because something triggered them, you know, maybe the uh, the spouse mentioned the affair that they were having or whatever, you know, could be anything. Um, Right before, right, right, that time there, just soon, soon after that, you'll probably reach a settlement. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it, it's really important to remember that when everything seems to fall apart in the negotiations, which don't, which doesn't even always happen. Sometimes we don't have those big kind of horrific, you know, blow ups. But sometimes we do. And when we do, first of all, those of us who are experienced collaborative practitioners know that's probably going to happen. So it's no big shocker. And we know that it's going to get resolved. Um, that you know, they such... might be saying, oh, forget it. We're going to have to go to court. And the, the collaborative attorneys will just look at each other and go, this will we'll, we'll work it out. Everyone just breathe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a really important recognition of, and I, I, it's not limited to those situations, of just when things look like they're falling apart is, in fact, when things are about to resolve or come together in some way. Is that a fair, is yes. that a fair statement of what I just said? What you just yes. said? Yeah. Yes, and I also have done mediation for about, oh, what about, maybe 12 years or so now. I've been a certified family law mediator, so I also serve as a mediator. And same deal there. You know, just when people are um, in Iowa, we do mediation typically in two different conference rooms, and the mediator goes back and forth between the rooms. Don't ask me why. That's just the way the convention, that's the way we started doing it here, so that's the way we do it typically. Mm-hmm. And just when I'm hearing in both rooms, well, forget it, then we're done. Well, forget it, then we're done. We're done. We're not going to, we're not, we're not going to negotiate anymore. Again, that is, that is like literally 10 to 15 minutes before we will usually reach a resolution on that wow. issue. That is so interesting that that plays out that way. And it, it does. All, it, that is very, very, very common. And, and I will, I will tell the people that in the, in the respective rooms, because I don't want them to feel like, you know, let's just give up. Um, so when they get to that point, that's what I will usually let them know. In fact, I usually try to remember to tell them that in the beginning spiel, like when I first walk into their room and I'm just telling them what mediation is and how this is going to go. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I try to tell them that, hey, there may become a moment today when you're going to feel like I'm done right. and, I, and I'm not going to negotiate anymore. And guess what? That's probably about the time we're going to be close to reaching a settlement. So hang in there. That is such and a valuable <laughs> thing for people to hear because when you're in the middle of all that, it's really tough to, to recognize there might be a resolution just on the exactly. other side. Yeah. Exactly. And and the, the key there is, again, kind of who did you choose as your mediator or who did you choose as your collaborative attorneys? Because if you happen to choose people who didn't have enough experience or enough whatever perspective, wisdom, whatever, I don't know, whatever, however they gain that knowledge to know these things, your mediation could fall out. It could be it could be that when they say, oh, we're done, that the mediator who doesn't have a lot of experience or doesn't know will say, OK, I guess we're done then. Right. Well, I guess you guys will have to go to court. Yeah, you've got to have you know, a vision <laughs> for that too to be able to hold it for your clients. Exactly, yeah. and, and you know, and 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 I'm you know I and a lot of my mediation colleagues here in Central Iowa are great at sticking in there and saying you know let's just just keep at it a little while longer. Let's see yeah. what we can do here. And uh, you know, That's if great. I had a if I had a dime for every time, okay, maybe not a dime, but if I had like a hundred bucks for every time a lawyer <laughs> said. We're never going to get this settled today. Like the minute I walked in, hey, I'm glad you're here, but this is probably going to be a short one. We're probably right. we're not going to be able to agree on anything. We're going to be out of here in an hour. Right. And I've said, well, we'll see. Let's just hang in there. And then four hours <laughs> later, we've got their whole divorce done. You know, that's so. <laughs> great. Yeah. Well, if you had any piece of advice or an, an insight from your own experience that you would share with other people who are thinking, well, I want to have, I want to have that kind of positive influence and make a contribution in my own business. What would you say to them as a as your your most important piece of advice or or an insight you'd share? I would just say to 
whatever whatever positive vision that you're holding, people, I think, I think a lot of problems uh, or a common problem with people that want to do good in the world is that, unfortunately, I think they we minimize that. Nobody will want that. That's so pie in the sky. That's so Pollyanna. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that, you know, whatever. People will think X. People will think Y. Is to not care what people think. That would be my advice. And to just be yourself and go out and spread the vision that you have. Because I guarantee you that people need it probably desperately. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a great um, thing to share with people because I, I think we're sometimes hesitant and uh, not sure that this is what people, what what others may need, but being yourself is so powerful. And I want to thank you for uh, being here today, Kimberly, and sharing who you are. You've really brought a compassionate and respectful approach to helping families through difficult time. And I, uh, I really value what you do. So thank you for thank you for being here to talk with us about that. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, I love talking about it I'll, every chance I get. So <laughs> hopefully we'll revolutionize divorce someday in this country. <laughs> well, I love how passionate you are about it. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, sometimes people are kind of confused and I understand why they think, well, you're a lawyer in Iowa, but I live in Virginia or I live in California. I don't understand how you can help me. But as I mentioned in the middle of our talk here, I do pre-divorce consulting and coaching over the phone or via video chat or phone, how, you know, however somebody wishes to do it. And I absolutely can help you so that before you choose a process and a lawyer, you know everything that you currently don't know. <laughs> and it's really important to, to become educated so that your divorce can go as well as it possibly can. And that starts, I think, with before you choose the process or lawyer. So if somebody wants to book a pre-divorce consult with me um, on my website, which is a little long, sorry, but it's uh, Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M, law, L-A-W, collaborative, C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-I-V-E.com. So we've got GrahamLawCollaborative.com. Great. They can go to my law firm website and under divorce, it will say pre-divorce consulting or consult, I forget the exact words, uh, in that pull-down menu. And they can read about it there on that page and they can book it on that page. And my email address is um, on my website as well. And that's Kimberly at GrahamLawCollaborative.com. And they can just directly email me if they want to book a session as well. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing those resources. And uh, I know know there'll be people out there who are interested in pursuing that. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, Kimberly. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the work you're doing, Ursula. It's it's awesome to have somebody highlighting positive businesses in the world. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's my, my great pleasure. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.